tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap. I would walk across highways to find my fate. You can't see how I matter in this world. Feeding the promised land with your blood by my hand. Cause you need to get back in the arms of a good friend. And I need to get back in the arms of a girlfriend. I didn't know nobody. And then I saw you coming my way. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Doug Cooper coming to you live, live, live <laughs> from the Vinegaroon Saloon. I am joined in the Vinegaroon Saloon by T. That's Power Pop T, or Tony, as some folks call him. Howdy, Doug, and everyone in podcast land. And a very disease-ridden J.M. Rowe <laughs> is broadcasting remotely this evening from... Are you in Cedar Park? You're in Leander. I'm in Leander, yes. As if there's fortress, a difference. Um, yeah, my fortress of solitude in Leander. Yes, JM's I'm getting over the flu, like, so I don't want to... Yeah, know. it's just the flu. <laughs> I assure you, it's just the flu. It's nothing like... it. it it's, it's not, not like, like the last of COVID, us or anything. COVID it's, it's not a fungus. <laughs> We've got, we got us an album here tonight, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we do? We do. And we're going to play a game. Oh, okay. Lord. This game is called Guess Who Picked the Album. <laughs> if you fail tonight, <coughs> that's going to be fun, J.M. <laughs> if you fail to figure out who picked this one, you're either brand new to our show, which we're very happy to have you, or you have neurological problems and you need to seek assistance. Tonight's <laughs> album is from the artist Matthew Sweet. And its girlfriend, ladies and gentlemen, Matthew Sweet's 1991 album. Masterpiece. Masterpiece. I guess you can already tell who's <laughs> who picked this one. This is not just a masterpiece, T. This is a power pop masterpiece. Yeah. I have a question Any for you, T. people believe it is, yeah. Yes, Doug, what's your question? Is there a more power popish album in the world? <laughs> <laughs> um uh I I think this album defined power pop for the 90s. I think this was the album that was the blueprint for bands that came after it that wanted to do this this combination of 
you know, melodic but crunchy loud guitars, lots of layered harmony. Poor ejemplo. What's that? Do you have an example oh. of some <laughs> of the people that might have been in the wake of this album? Well, it, it's kind of tough. There were a lot of people coming up uh, around the same time, but some of them changed their dynamic. And I don't know. Here, Here's the thing that's a head scratcher. I don't know how much of that changed because they were struggling to get airplay in the sea of grunge, which this album didn't have that problem. A, it was early enough. And B, I think loud enough that it might not have had that problem anyway. But uh, the Posies definitely changed the way they sounded uh, post this album. They had released an album, their second album called Dear 23 that was very Beatlesque. And then they and they started doing stuff like Frosting on the Beater. And it was very la- much more guitar, sort of grungy guitars or crunchy guitars better sounding. Um, when you asked me about Power Pop, uh, you know, this, this is my... This is one of my, I, I like to make lists and me and a buddy made a list of our favorite albums in the nineties. And this came in at number three for me. Who beat uh, it? Trace by Sunvolt beat it was number two. And number one is the album we're going to be talking about in a couple of weeks, which was Spilt Milk by Jellyfish. I think that is the most power poppy album. You think Spilt Milk? Spilt Milk is? Yeah. Hmm. Um, I thought it was too complicated to just be power pop. No, I mean, I... I mean, I get it. It's got other things going on, but this this is definitely uh, spilt milk. Did not was not the blueprint. This was, I think you could say that this was a blueprint for '90s power pop band Super Deluxe, uh, which was mid to late '90s. That they, they did it as well. They they followed that followed suit. If you like guitar music and misbehaving guitar music, this is a very good album for you. Well. And and one of the things that uh interesting about both of the guitarists is Robert Quine is very erratic and he when he plays. And and Jam, you could speak to this maybe more than me, but uh the difference between the two of them is I don't at least the engineer on this album said that he doesn't believe Richard Richard Lloyd had a, he just everything was a single take like he played it and they kept it with Robert Quine they, yeah they pieced together various parts of so what I you're think, hearing I think I, I think I hear that when you when you're hearing the guitars that he's playing those don't exist as a piece anywhere somebody had to yeah. learn them to play them live which is crazy because it is it's some crazy stuff but yeah, yeah they go ahead jam I'm sorry well the thing that he they that I read was that um Robert Quine was, he would just get increasingly frustrated with his guitar solos that, I mean, they would, they were playing everything live and he would try to do his guitar solo live. And then he would go in and want to overdub his guitar solo. And he would just get more and more frustrated every time he would do, try to do the solo that instead of just taking one take of his guitar solo, they pieced together the solo. So it just got more and more like, he was getting more and more frustrated every time and it worked. So every, at the end of it, his guitar solo, at the end of every guitar solo, it was just almost like chaos or, or just uh discordant, just sort of, he was just so frustrated, but it worked. And Fred Mayer just appreciated that and just let it and just pieced them together. And, and Fred for Mayer. The, who's Fred Mayer? Yeah. He's or the what producer. What town is he mayor of? 
So uh, I think it's <laughs> he's the producer and a drummer. He and the drummer, the, yeah, an occasional drummers. guitarist, yeah. Uh, I think it's worth mentioning that Robert Quine's claim to fame, besides being a session man on this album, was he was part of the Voidoids, which was Richard Hell's band after he left television. So that the guitar solo, if you've ever listened to Blank Generation, there's a really amazing guitar solo on it, and that's well, he, playing. yeah, and he has a a a, a different uh, association. As well, so I've talked about uh-oh, before. Uh oh, that's right, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> that's the noise we play when I'm trying to do a different button. Get a Scooby snack. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, it's connections. We have some connections. We were stumbling into connections when we were rudely interrupted by those hippies with the uh, deja vu theme. JM, Jonathan yes. JM Rowe, do you have a connection for us? I do have a connection. Um, it is that Robert Quine was the guitar player for. Lou Reed for some time, especially in the eighties, uh, making kind of, I think he made his debut with him on the blue mask. And we have talked about Lou Reed. We have not talked about Robert Quine before with Lou Reed, but Lou Reed, we talked about in a previous episode, his album transformer. So that's, that's that, um, association. The other one, Fred Mayer, who, uh, did Jen just skip you? That's fine. Okay. I'm sorry, but James I don't think manners are bad. We're, we're talking about Lou Reed. We're talking about Lou Reed. <laughs> Lou Reed was uh, Fred Mayer was Lou Reed's producer, um, starting with I believe New York, and he was his drummer as well, longtime drummer, so, starting in the '80s. So you might as well talk about the connection with the other guitarists too, James, since you're in that territory with Richard Lloyd. Yeah. Well, okay. Um, Richard Lloyd, who we talked about in a very recent episode, was the uh, co-founder or a a, found, a co-founder of television and was one of the guitar players in television, one of the excellent guitar players in and, television. And, and, and plays Another guitar album, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. And plays a very similar role in that album, I think, that he does in this. I think yeah. he'd say Tom Verlaine was the more kind of erratic, all-over-the-place guitarist, and Richard Lloyd's the more, more sort of melodic you know, the guitar solos you can yeah. almost sing to. And he, he does the same mm-hmm. thing on this. He's the one playing. Oh, I, I should say that. There's a lot of them that Robert Klein plays that I was surprised that he played. But but in general, he's the more melodic guitar player on the album. And and Robert Klein's the uh, more kind of all over the place, erratic, crazy. What's that guy doing guitarist, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And just coming up with as much feedback as he, he could possibly come up with. Right. But Yeah. T, now yeah. that uh, James... Uh, stolen a number of uh, connections. Would you like to uh, make some comments on connections on your own album? Sure. R.E.M. And the connection there? Well, uh, when Matthew Sweet was still in high school, he uh, became enamored with R.E.M., saw them perform live, and uh, he he had a demo tape that he'd gotten. He gave it to Michael Stipe. Michael Stipe wrote him telling him how much he liked the songs and Michael Stipe's sister was in a band called OOK 
and uh, he passed the cassette on to them. They liked it. Anyway, long story short, uh, Matthew Sweet ends up going to the University of Georgia after he graduates from high school. He joins the band OOK and records uh, with Michael Stipe uh, a song that I'm going to play for you guys right now, a song called Tainted Obligations. If I reached out tonight, I found I couldn't find it. If you were here once you were here. So that's the song, Tainted Obligations. Uh, who is that? That's Michael Stipe and Matthew Sweet. Was that released? It was. It, that it, sounds like a demo kind of. It, it was, but it was. So in, in fall of 83, they started writing songs together. They only recorded three of the songs um, with this producer named John Keane and only that's the only track that was ever officially released and sweet plays uh, Matthew sweet plays acoustic guitar on it Michael Stipe plays the accordion and they both sing sort of a sounds uh, pretty good to me yeah yeah not too bad so that's that's one connection I've got other ones of jam keep going do you have any Doug uh, I think everyone's covered already. Well, there's a Neil Young connection because it's important to mention Neil Young in every podcast so that we can put him on the uh, tags. Yeah, I mean, the connection <laughs> there is that when he was working on the demos for Girlfriend, he sent them to his manager, and his manager sent him back and said, this sounds like Neil Young and Crazy Horse. And 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 uh, Matthew Sweet said, what? And then he listened to it, and he's like, oh, I get it. It does kind of sound like Neil Young and Crazy Horse. <laughs> Well, I have a connection nobody's thought of, and it's probably the most obvious. As you know, on Connections, we tried to connect something from our current album to an album we've done before. <laughs> and this is the most connected album we've ever done, because we've done this album before, ladies and gentlemen. This was the first album, this is Vinyl Tap, reviewed, or whatever we call what we do. And, and it was uh, a mess. And it sucked so much that we never released it. Well, and thank, thank <laughs> God we were able to do the memorial podcast where we could just kind of talk about Jerry Jeff and get... Because he died before we released it. Right. And we just talked. Yeah. That gave us... Kind of got our feet in, in place where we were a little bit comfortable. But that first one was... Yeah. It was the pilot episode. It, it's... Uh, the like it was the know, drunken pilot kid. episode for anybody who yeah. thinks i talk too much now you should hear, you should hear that thing <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty bad well actually nobody should hear that it's it's nice to uh, come back to this record and do it right i, I do yep. i do have one not to steal your thunder but i do have one more connection go okay everybody here's this Yes, that is right. That is the Jayhawk song Blue, covered by a band called The Thorns. And actually, when we did the Jayhawks episode, I mentioned, I think I mentioned that band that Matthew Sweet in 2002 joined, or he and two other songwriters, Pete Droge and Sean Mullins, formed a band called The Thorns and released an album called The Thorns. And they're the the real radio play that that song got was off of that album and not off the Jayhawks album. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't heard our Jayhawks, uh, tomorrow's tomorrow's green grass. Tomorrow the green grass is it's yeah. a fantastic album, and and we did a good job on that one. 
we can be proud about that one. So go check that out when you're through with this one. Okay, I got one more that I think we need to mention. Um, and I'm not really sure. I know we've talked about him before. Greg Leish, the pedal steel player on this. Okay. He has played with so many people that we've talked about. Uh, Springsteen, um, Randy Newman, uh, uh, Emmylou Harris. Um, just... There's just, I mean, you can just look at it, it, James, um, uh, Jackson Brown, he, Linda Ronstadt. He has played with so many people, but I can't find an album that we've actually talked about that he's on, but he is, I know that we've talked about him before. He's Eric Clapton. He's played with so many people that we've talked about before that um, his, his name again is Greg Lake. <laughs> Leish, Leish, L E I S Z. Oh, Okay. Well, very good, guys. That was a yeah. fun, uh, a fun game of connections. T, mm-hmm. yeah, Doug. I've been wondering this for some time now. Uh-huh. We've spent a lot of time listening to this record. Uh-huh. We had the death freeze that killed my power for seven days. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, the power company in Austin is owned by the local government, <laughs> which spends <laughs> uh, money on finding out how to power. Uh, our system on unicorn farts and things like that, instead of cutting trees that might fall down and take your trans transformers. What is it called? A transistor transformer 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 than meets the eye. Anyway, we were without power, which uh, caused us to miss a week of uh, broadcasting, but um, that gave us a lot of time to listen to this record. Uh And, And ladies and gentlemen, this is a fine record, but the whole time I've been, wondering let me let me say something else this is smack dab in the middle of my dark ages Uh this is where i turned off new music for a period of time so i had no experience with matthew sweet whatsoever never even heard the name before t introduced me to this where'd this guy come from and how did this album happen so he's born in nebraska in lincoln nebraska um, home of the Cornhuskers. Yeah, that don't win anymore. Sorry, my, guys. Uh, <laughs> I root for them, but they just don't. My father-in-law win. actually play, was a lineman for the Cornhusk- Cornhuskers and got signed got signed by the Cowboys in '68. Dallas Cowboys and was the last person cut from that team that year. Oh, uh, anyway, that's further than I got. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, get to junior high football. So yeah, he was born born in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, in 1964. In fifth grade, he started playing the violin, and uh, he um, also added a pickup to it and plugged it in. Started plugging it into his home stereo to play through it. After he heard ELO, he's like, "I need I need to do something with this." And they bought put a pickup on his on his uh, cool. his violin. Very good influence. Um, yeah. Yeah, he started to try to learn stuff off of records. He was, <laughs> he picked up a, a a bass as well, and a Univox bass and a matching amp. And he started trying to learn. First, he started trying to learn Chris Squire uh, stuff off of Yes albums. And, and, and then he moved. Then <laughs> not, he moved a, not yeah, that's not, not the a good best. place to start. Then, then he moved. Not to a Ed, good place to start. Then he moved to Entwistle. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But he, he eventually started falling in love with XTC and Elvis Costello and Niccolo and the Beatles. And um, and when he got into high school, he started to get into more American pop stuff. So he became a big Mitch Easter fan, a big fan of the DBs, big star at R.E.M. And we talked about that a little bit. He uh, he joined a band in high school called The Specs, which was a, were a new wave cover band. But they did have a single, an original single that he wrote when he was 16 called... Look out, girl, you need a direction. And it was released on a local radio station, KFMQ's Homegrown Album Compilation. I'll play you a little bit of that real quick so you can hear what a very young, the very first, he's not singing on this, but it's his first comp- composition and he is playing bass. And there's that sounds like a hit. Yeah, there's actually a minor connection with that song too that I didn't want to get into before we talked about it. But uh, it was uh, it was the most requested song on the compilation. So in terms of a hit on a compilation, it was. But what uh, <laughs> there was some controversy surrounding it, and I double checked this because I pulled the lyrics up while I listened to it. Uh, there's a few lines borrowed from uh, this this uh, this is the modern world, the jam song. Like just pulled, plucked right out of that song and put into this song. Well, there's a connection, so, a very yeah, nice connection. So it was kind of funny. Um, and that then he, makes me feel good that he was listening to that to the jam, yeah. And then, well, I think that band covered jam tunes. They were, like I said, they were a new wave cover band, and so it, it made sense. Um, and then he fronted his own band called the Dial Tones, and they recorded a demo of his own songs. And that that's what I talked about when we when he passed it on to Michael Stipe and all of that business we talked about with that connection there. Um, while he was w- in uh, Georgia, he ended up recording with the, um, with David Pierce, who was the drummer for OK Go, which was the band he joined. And uh, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Not okay. Go. That's a different band. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and they were, they formed a band called buzz of delight and they released a, a, cassette i think or i don't know maybe it was an lp but a cassette called sound castles that same year it was um and then he cut a demo of his own stuff with don dixon which is pretty big deal uh we talked about don dixon a bit in the rem episode uh columbia records ends up hearing buzz of the light and they hear his demo and they sign him to a contract in 1985 and how many albums come before this one, T? Two. Two albums precede two, this one? Two albums, two different labels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's right. He he got cut um, twice before this. And uh, who, who's this on? That's on Zoo Records. So this so, is like, the, like he was on something heavy like Columbia. He was on Col- his first album was on Columbia. So he moves to New York. He releases his first album called Inside on Columbia in 1986. He plays all of the instruments, almost all the instruments on it, and uh, he's got a drum machine backing him up. And it sounds very 80s production. Uh, What's interesting is, so Chris Stamey played on it, Fred Mayer played on it, Amy Mann played on it, Anton Fear, who was in the Golden Palominos, played on it. And actually, uh, Matthew Sweet toured, uh, he was a guitarist for the Golden Palominos for a while. I think he sang on a couple of tracks on their 
on their yeah. second uh second or third album i can't remember but that's where he met um that's where he met uh i believe richard lloyd was playing with the golden palominas but anyway uh he releases inside to utter silence nobody's interested in it uh it got some good critic ratings but the buying public didn't like it and so he gets dropped from Columbia. He starts to tour a little bit with Lloyd Cole as Lloyd Cole's guitarist. And in the meantime, A&M Records picks him up and they uh, start working on his second LP, which was uh, 1989's Earth, also produced by Fred Mayer. Uh, And again, Sweet is the main musician on it. Again, there's a drum machine. This time, the drum machine is programmed and sampled by Rick Mank who ends up playing drums on the album we're talking about tonight a bit. Yeah. But this is also on earth is where we get the first taste of his collaboration with Robert Quine and with Richard Lloyd. They're both on that album. So anyway, um, and uh, while we're talking about his album, so one that comes after this is very different. comes after girlfriend. Uh huh. Um, yeah, there was a time period in Matthew Sweet's career, and this is just my own personal taste, where I liked every other album he released. Really? Yeah. And I didn't like the stuff he did in between the albums I liked. Going back and listening to him, I was probably a little too hard. What, are they more experimental, or are they... Uh... No, they're just it's a little bit of the, the same old, same old without the spark. Like, there's okay. not, it yeah. just doesn't sound like... So he did this, and then he released. I believe is it is Altered Beast the one that comes yeah. after this jam? Yeah, Altered Beast. Yeah, that's I heard people talking about that one quite a bit. Yeah, and then he puts out 100 percent Fun, which is just a great, fantastic. Album. It's yeah. fun. Yeah, it's a fantastic album. Yeah, and then he yeah. puts. Is out, it as good as this one? Um, it's got his biggest hit on it. Oh yeah, yeah. What's that? Sick yeah. of my, sick of myself. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah. I heard that. <clears> which is one of the funniest videos you'll ever see too yeah, yeah. Uh, this this album has a good video with that girlfriend uh oh, with the anime i don't yeah. care for videos that come out at this period or, or ever there's only a few i like and uh i thought that was a good one i thought it was very well done yeah yeah um but so earth also same same fate it it uh critics like it a bit and the buying public doesn't pay attention yeah i think there's a there's just kind of a a a kiss of death if you co-write with jewel shear you're just not going to have a hit album everybody wants people to write with jewel shear and i just don't think it works out i don't think anybody listening those first two matthew sweets albums would have expected girlfriend i know it seems to have come out of nowhere uh, but he had, I mean, but he came out of that. So he, he was fascinated with Athens, Georgia. Well, he went and, to school there. Yeah. And he had Kate Pearson of the B-52s there. Scott Litt was, uh, I guess he was an engineer on this. You know, Scott Litt produced REM, REM quite a bit. And um, yeah, it, it, Chris Stamey of, of the DBs again was, 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 was on, on this out of that scene. So, yeah, it it's kind of weird that he had to get away from Athens to kind of produce a power pop album. That really surprises me. Well, that he so, somebody sums this album up perfectly. I read it, and it's a perfect summation of of um, of this album to me. And it says that it is um, girlfriend is a combination of the the sort of raw aggressiveness of the. Uh, CBGB's era uh, 
the American punk punk era and um and the sort of melodic glossiness and and harmonies of the Beatles and the Beach Boys and all that it's like you get those two mm-hmm. things and you throw them together and you get girlfriend you get this aggression yet this sort of yeah. melodic sweetness over the top of that and that's yeah. that's a perfect i think a perfect uh, description of this album you know um when he's on A&M he uh <laughs> he's um He's, you know, is dropped by them as well. What happens is they, their, their guy, whoever, and Doug, you know this better than probably anybody because you were involved in that sort of behind the scenes stuff at a, at a record. The uh, Matthew Sweet's guy just stopped showing up when the A and R guy, the A and R guy, stopped stopped showing up at the at the uh, at the at the studio when they're working on it, and so he realizes um, while that guy's no longer around, he starts to wonder. And so after a couple, some discussions with A&M, they essentially say, yeah, we're not interested in this album you're working on. And they're working on girlfriend at the time. <laughs> it's like, we're not interested in this. Uh, you can go ahead and shop it around. And there was a little bit of buzz about it, mainly because of who was on it. And, uh, and I guess because people, some people had heard it and um, I, you know, I, it must've been before you recorded girlfriend because Oh, the song. To, you mean? Yeah, that uh, to me that's the most. Uh, it's very, very, very apparent that that's a hit. Well, so this is what happened. Zoo Entertainment, which is a newly found label, uh, showed some interest in him, and then they passed, and then changed their mind again. And the story goes is so Scott Byron, who is the former East Coast A and R director of Zoo, said that uh, Zoo was a new company. They didn't really have a way of, they didn't have like a set standard on how they signed people. And, um, they were, zoo was, um, founded by this gentleman named, um, I think his name is Pete Maglia. Do you know him, JM? Name rings a bell, but I, I, I'm not sure I can pronounce his name. Well, he was the former head of Electra and Island records. And, uh, anyway, he, he's shows some interest and, uh, Zoo and Matthew Sweet's management have a verbal agreement, but then out of nowhere, Maglia decides, you know what? I we're not interested, and they pull the plug on it. And so uh, Scott Byron has to tell Matthew Sweet that. But but then uh, Bud Scopa, who was working for Zoo at the time, he was the AR AR vice president with Zoo. He's cranking the album up in his office, like bl- blasting it. And Maglia comes by and he's like, what are you listening to? And he's like, oh, this is Matthew Sweet. You passed on him a few weeks ago. And he's like, no, 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 no. Get this guy in. We're signing. We're releasing the album. So, uh, yeah. So, that's that's how that uh, that happened. So He anyway, got lucky. He got lucky. I, I love these where the big guys dump somebody right before their big hit. Yeah. I loved, yeah. Uh, what, who was it? Um, who dumped Van Morrison right before he put out? the album that had have i told you lately i love you um oh warner brothers yeah <laughs> yes, thank yeah. you i just <laughs> love that and then that turned into enormous hit that yeah they signed a mercury all kinds of right before that college yeah. girls that never heard of van morrison before are saying i love this song um all right t so anything else before we go into the album uh, you know i think it's worth talking a little bit about what hat what's going on in his personal life at the time because it it oh really, yeah really he just lost his wife i think his, his wife divorce well yeah so he they got married fairly young at 19 i think in 90 in 89 they moved to princeton 
and they get a house. I always say you should wait to your 50s. <laughs> well, you, you would know. Uh, nah, it doesn't take then either. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so they moved to this house in Princeton. They moved to Princeton in New Jersey so they could have their own house. Um, they were, he and his wife were living in New York at the time. She gets restless. She feels like there's something more she wants to do. So she gets some money from her dad and she moves back to New York and she gets an apartment there. And while they hadn't exactly broken up, obviously things weren't going well. And he said he worked, he said in an interview, he worked really, really hard to not end his marriage. He didn't want it to happen. But uh, even though she left, he was the one who eventually just pulled the trigger and said, this isn't working. So he had, it, he had to, he, he's the one who I guess filed for divorce and he felt really guilty and he felt tainted by that decision. He felt, I mean, he had two failed albums, uh, in a sense, commercially failure albums, and he's got a failed marriage and he's sitting on that thinking, what, what's going on with my life? Right. So as you have said multiple times, Doug, what happens if you've got somebody who's unhappy? Great albums. Yes. But what we don't want is happy songwriters. Well, what, what <laughs> happens is the, the reason why it's this album's interesting in terms of that is there's a juxtaposition. During the recording of this, he reconnects with this girl that he knew in New York. And uh, and he runs into her. I think they, they knew each other from Nebraska. Anyway, he runs into her. And he said at the time, enough time had passed. He was ready to be in love again. He, was, he hated being miserable all the time. And so they reconnect and he ends up marrying this woman and they're still married to this day, as far as I know. So there, there, there's songs on this album that have that feeling too, of somebody who's got newfound love. Well, that explains a lot because some of these songs are sad and, uh-huh. and then the next thing, yippee, yippee, no, I have a girlfriend. Well, and now that of, makes so much sense. Some of them are really bitter too, like really, yes, really yeah. bitter. His voice is not correct for bitter music. Oh, I don't know. We can talk about that when we get we to it. We can talk about that, I promise. Um, but essentially, it's an album where a guy is coming to terms with a, fail, a failed marriage, finding new love, and he's backed with a bunch of incredibly kick-ass guitar while he's doing it. So it's mm, uh, That's kick bottom, ladies oh, and gentlemen. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so he, he, he ends up working on this album in earnest. He sets up a drums in his living room. And uh, and that's when the manager heard him and said they sound like he sent the demos and said it sounded like Crazy Horse. Rick Mank, who's the guy who programmed the drums on his last album, um, goes up in these visiting suite a lot during this time, and, and they start talking about this album and what they want it to sound like. Uh, Jam, is there anything you want to say about the production on this album? There's a lot I want to say about the production on this album. This is a great production, right? And what they- it's crystal clear and. Everything yeah. is at the right level. Well, what they did is they said uh, they were going to strip. They were going to basically take the opposite approach to what they did on his first two albums. Right, and it's it's a pretty much. This is a, a little bit of a background on this. Fred Mayer had just produced Lou Reed's New York, which is a, an incredibly stripped down album. Almost everything was cut live in the studio. Um, mistakes and all were left in some of the songs. And that's kind of Fred Mayer. He, he just kind of discovered that production, that, that format of production where you just cut the songs live and just see where they, where they go. And, but make as uh, equalize them as, as the best you can make the song sound exactly the way that you want it. And that's the production. 
and that's what he that's his magic and his drumming on this i think is is so i mean i'm i'm a sucker there's three there's there's things that this song this album has that just hits me and it's very much an a lou reed um school it's you know crunchy guitars a tight snare and kick sound without a lot of with without a lot of toms a bass that's not playing too many notes and very little reverb well, there's and no there's no reverb on this album. Whatsoever. There's actually no reverb on this album. Yeah, Maybe there's, there's some no of those keyboards vocals. either. Are there? There's some piano. There's a piano, and that's all played by um, Sweet. But but um, they 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 said that what they were going to do is strip all the reverb off of it because they, yeah. they that was the sound they were going for, and then they compressed the hell out of it. Uh, it, why is, comp- it is a compressed that's, record. That's why, especially the drums. Yeah, that's why everything yeah. is so, as you said, like everything's sort of right there. It's immediate when you listen it's to it. A, it's yeah, immediate that's, right there. And there's except even for the bass. They, I, the, the, I think the bass is the hardest thing to hear. There's there's parts where it's not, um, but uh, I agree with you. There, there, and I'm would gonna, you say it was that. a pocketed bass? I would say it's more pocketed than a lot well, of songs that were coming out at this time, or a lot of albums that were coming out at this time. Another thing that he does, and a reason why I think, Doug, you just kind of hit on something I wanted to talk about, I believe he's playing an eight-string bass. He's playing a Hoffner. On, I'm, I'm sorry? He's playing a Hoffner. He's, well, there, he plays, I think I can definitely hear an eight-string bass on some of this, and he plays eight-string bass on a lot of his other albums, so I, I'm just assuming that he's playing maybe it's a Hoffner eight string. I didn't know if they it might be, but they, they were they set up some rules that they were going to do with this album, and, and the rules were there'd be all live instruments, yeah. all the bass would be Hoffner ba- Beetle basses, Sweet's voice yeah. and guitars would be front and center. So Not Hoffner like, is is a violin looking bass. Yeah, yeah. The drums yeah. would be loud and dry, and I don't know what that means, Jam. If you want to talk about what that means, but um, well, that means that there's no reverb on them. It means that they're going to mix them high in the in the in the mix and uh especially i mean the snare on this is so crisp and so tight and the kick drum is honestly also really tight i mean there's no you don't get that john bonham boom sound it's like everything is just so tight so compact and there's not again not a lot of toms not a lot of cymbals i mean it's just a straight um just a snare and kick which is i mean i absolutely love and he you know Fred Mayer does not play a, a whole lot of a whole lot of drums. I mean, he, he's he's very um, economical in in his drum plan. Well, Rick Mank also plays drums on this album. I don't know who's doing what on what songs, but he's a, he, he was the guy who worked on. He's the guy who sampled and did the R I C Mank. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then the 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 other kind of things in terms of the the rules they went by is so they would lay the rhythm track down in the studio mm-hmm. and then. Matthew Sweet would take the songs back to his house and he'd lay some vocals down. They'd come back in the studio, they'd lay some more vocals down, and then they would give the songs to whoever was the guitarist on the song, Richard Lloyd or Robert Quine, and they'd say, have fun. And they didn't do, they did not, they didn't do it. They just let them do what they wanted to do for the songs. Mm -hmm. And that's what they used. That makes so much sense to me because one of the things that I noticed about the guitars on this album is <laughs> this make this is so f- cool now that you've said that I was listening to it and it sounded like the guitars were doing a commentary on the song, not playing huh. along with it. 
That's, and yeah. now that you yeah. say that, it makes sense why it would be that way. Well, and that makes <laughs> sense. That's, it makes sense. That's my you. notes too. I've got that in my notes. It's like it almost sounds like guitars. Just the, the guitar solos just came out of nowhere. So that that commentary comment, commentary commentary, makes sense <laughs> when you talk about Richard Lloyd because he says that he plays, he listens to a song and then plays what the song feels like. So that makes absolutely sense. Now, I don't know about Robert Klein because again he. As JM so wonderfully put it, he would get so he'd get upset and uh, <laughs> beat himself up, and then do another couple of takes that would have a lot of venom behind them, and then they would piece them together. So, but um, yeah, it's uh, the I, I don't know if you how you guys feel about this, but there there are two albums that Matthew Sweet talks about as being sort of the uh, sonic foot or sonic. Uh, Template, template blueprint for this template, album. Yeah. One of them was an album that he and Mank listened to when they were driving around a lot, uh, opening for when they so when they toured for their last album, it was just him on drums and 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 I guess uh, Matthew Sweet on electric guitar, maybe acoustic sometimes. And they were touring for Till Tuesday, Amy Mann's band, and uh, they listened to Full Moon Fever all the time. Okay, and, really? and 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 that's, loved, that's a good album for songwriters to listen to. And loved how it sounded. It's funny because they say, well, well what we didn't like, we, what we liked about it was it, stri- it stripped down all of the, uh, all of the '80s production that Southern accents yeah. had. <laughs> but who produced Full Moon Fever? <laughs> it's ELO's coming back again, yeah. Tony, to yeah. to tell you to repent. Jeff Lynn. So it's just the a funny genius thing. of the, Jeff Lynn. The other album that he talks about in terms of a sonic template is Tusk. Really? Yep. Well, I think I can hear that. So those, I can hear that a little bit. Those yeah. are the two Tusk things. by Fleetwood Mac, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. The uh, the one the poor album that had to come after. Um, Rumors. And then Rumors, one yeah. final one you're going to love, Doug. Take I'll, a guess. Like the other ones. What, an yeah. album that it's... It, there's one a third one that they borrowed from in terms of a sonic template. And it's one that you, it's one that you dogpile on a lot. <laughs> Mainly because of the songs. I don't think necessarily because of the sound. The White, yeah, al- the white Album. Oh, The White... Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. So, well, yeah. Uh, white Album's just has... Out songs that should have been left. So, uh, just just real quick before we get like talking the songs or even talking the personnel, I want to go back to the compression thing because I said it and both you guys were like, oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But I didn't know what compression was. Maybe there are people out there that don't know what that means. Well, if you mix the podcast like JM and I do, you'd know about it. <laughs> so, what is it? What is it? It's a it's a way of making every frequency. Uh, as close to the same volume as possible. So you have EQ, and EQ, what EQ does is it turns up different frequencies or it turns down certain frequencies. So if you have a bass that's too high and you don't like the way it sounds, but you want to still keep it kind of high in the mix, what you do is you turn down the, uh, the, the low end. And so you say, well, I don't want the bass to sound so high. But if you want to kind of keep it in a, in a, a volume range you will compress it so you will say that if i can if i turn down the frequency this high and i turn down turn up the frequency this high keep it in this ratio don't let it go higher than or lower than this it's you'll have a three to one ratio or two to one ratio or whatever if you're using uh 
software and you can see the peaks and the valleys yeah. of a sound wave. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. and like JM said, it's all these different um, all these different things making noise. And then you hit compression, and they all go. They all fit inside uh, a level. Okay. A bottom. They don't go further down than something, and they don't go further up than the something. Okay. And if you listen to something that's not compressed, it sounds like some people are really far away. Some people. And this are really album close. definitely doesn't sound like. No, that. it sounds like they're all. It's that's it's right. There. I think it's a great yeah. production, but it. I do too. I I do. You can hear that it's a compressed mixed. Well, I think they said that even though they they eschewed uh, studio stuff like uh, reverb and stuff, they what they did use they used to the fullest extent they could. So that makes sense as well. well. Yeah. They did, and they did use a couple of studio tricks in this. I mean, Jim Jim Rodinelli, who's the engineer, talks about you know they they do some backward tape looping in it. They've got yeah. amps humming at some point. They do. Uh, Matthew Sweet was fascinated by Beatles stereo recording, mm-hmm. in particular revolvers. Yeah. So they do that whole thing where there's a distinct channel playing one right. thing and another right. thing in the other channel. This is one of the albums that if one of your channels goes out, yeah. you can tell right away. You're going to miss half the yeah. song. Like you listen yeah. in to Day Tripper yeah. and, a, and one of the channels out, there's no backing singers. There's no drums. You're either listening, yeah, you're either listening to the drums and bass or you're uh, listening to everything else. And, and this may not be something that you're necessarily fond of, but the, like, the big thing was that Matthew Sweet's voice would be front and center and it would yep. give the album sort of an intimacy like a one-man band like something that rundgren todd rundgren did or prince or some of those other people that do that it does have that. that's what they wanted it to sound like. and yeah. uh he's a very he articulates very well you don't need the lyrics <laughs> for this i mean yeah, it's nice to have them yeah but there's not any point in this album where you can't tell what the guy's saying. saying yeah it is yeah. funny though if you look online there are several people that miss they miswrite the lyrics. Is that right? Hmm. Yeah. So somebody, no one's better at that than Elton John, though. It is so fun to see what people think Elton John's. <laughs> so, somebody misquoted "Here Comes the Sunshine." <laughs> I don't know how you listen to that and think that's not what it says, but maybe these are people without ears. Um, J- I've, J- I've got something for you, T. People like me, yeah. This album looks like. A Dean Martin album cover <laughs> from 1964. Yeah. Uh, can you tell to... us about the album cover? Yeah, we should talk about the album cover. So the album cover has, um, it's a picture of um, Tuesday Weld. Tuesday Weld from ni- the, the 1950s or whatever. And the album was originally going to be called Nothing Lasts, which is the final song in the album. And they and and his first two Matthew Sweet's first two albums have pictures of him on it, and they have kind of an '80s vibe to them. And he wanted to do something different. And by picking this picture, it really does give the album kind of a timeless feel. You don't know it. It you're right. It looks like it's from the. I mean, you obviously can tell the pictures from when it is, but when you listen to the music, it, the combination kind of gives it. It doesn't set it in any one place, right? The reason why it's called Girlfriend is when they asked Tuesday Weld if they could use it, and she found out the album was called Nothing Last. She wasn't a fan of that. Because <laughs> probably right now she's... And Speaking of Nothing Last, ladies and gentlemen, we lost Raquel Welch today. We did. We oh, did. man. Yeah. Hey, uh, before I was married, I used to think she was 
the most gorgeous woman in the world, especially yeah. when she was living simultaneously with dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was Only telling one what, million years ago. One million, 20, 20 years ago, 20, 23 years ago. He's talking about the net title of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, w- I was telling my daughter about the uh, the movie she's in with Dudley Moore and Peter Peter. Uh, Peter oh Cook. Peter Cook, yeah. Bedazzled. Yeah. She plays Lust. Yeah. <laughs> Which is per- perfect casting, I guess. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so they changed the name to Girlfriend. Tuesday Weld acquiesces, mm-hmm. said you can use the, use the picture. And to be honest with you, either one would be fine, but Girlfriend's a great name for now. <laughs> well, and it, it was the big hit, too, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, so that's, that's it, it helpful. A, she yeah. helped him out. I think it's a much better name. Yeah. Do you, uh, Jam, do you want to talk about any of the other people on the album? There's a couple of people that are a bit su- bit of a surprise. Yeah, there are. Um, you've got, well, we talked about Greg Lash, who's the uh, the pedal steel player. But all right, there's, the, the, there's a cello on this, and I, I can't really tell where it is, but it's it's done by Jane Scarpationi. I'm sure I'm, I'm butchering oh, that, that right. name. But she's played with with a lot of different people. Among them, Brian Eno, who we've talked about who? before. <laughs> did we, did I can't we talk- believe he figured out a way to get <laughs> Eno is, in here. Yeah, I, brought, I brought Eno I in. Sandwich yeah. Eno into a podcast. She's played with Eno. Um, she okay, and she's then there most, is if, if, just real quick, Jam. If anybody out there owns Workbook, which is Bob Mould's first solo album. She's all over that album. And you can definitely hear the cello on that album. So pull yeah, it out. And, and she plays it. she's played with uh she played on The Rising by Bruce Springsteen. Oh, yeah. She's played with Lou Reed, um, you know, in, in uh one of my favorite albums, one of the last albums he did, uh, Ecstasy. Um he's played she's played with a whole bunch of different people. She, she and she's been around for a, for a while. But um yeah, she did some great stuff. And then of all people, she has, he has the um, Amy Ray and Emily Sailors. From the Indigo Girls. Indigo Girls. Well, they had the same, they shared management. Is that right? I didn't know that. Yeah, that's why. And they're also from Georgia. They were part of that whole scene. Oh, yeah, they were from that. Um, You know, Stipe's on their second album. I think he sings a duet with Emily Sailors. Was she wearing Birkenstocks? Maybe I don't know. I like the Indie Girls. I know you guys have issues with them, but I, no, like I think them. they we sing can edit fine. That. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to edit it. I'm fine. I'm very proud of the fact that I like that band. <laughs> Any problems with that? And then Lloyd Cole, we mentioned he's he plays guitar a little bit on this as well. There's three drummers, which I don't get, but whatever. Yeah, I don't get that either. So, we ready to jump into this baby? <laughs> I, I I think so. I believe we are. Well, this album starts out with some guitar sounds and a fine tune called Divine Intervention. That's Richard Lloyd playing that very, very engaging guitar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So engaging. Did you know that you can get on YouTube and find Richard Lloyd guitar lessons? No. Yep. No. That's cool. 
I was going to say they're from quite a ways back. I was going to say it's so engaging that when the song fades out, they fade it back in so you can hear the rest of a solo. <laughs> Which is, it is very interesting the way they well, do that. Well, that's one of the things I want to say. It's a very Beatlesque song because the uh, drums are in one ear. The whole drum sets in one ear. Yeah, and that little and it comes in and out. Supposedly yeah. that little burst of feedback uh, that comes in. Yeah. So well, it's almost like yeah, it, it it's almost like you're watching the the show start. You know how it, it, everything's kind of feeding back, we, and then the rest of the band comes in. And we yeah. say this a lot. This is a an amazing way to start this album off. I mean, it's I you so. couldn't ask for a better song to start the album off. I would have started it off with girlfriend. I, no, I think this is a perfect way to start it off. It's and and the initial burst of vocals is actually a digitally reversed snatch of the chorus that they plugged into the beginning of the song. Wow! And then the, really. and then what I was going to say that feedback right before the guitar kicks in or right before the singing kicks in is an homage to "I Feel Fine," the Beatles song. Um, and then and then the 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 hook that crunchy hook in the beginning that's Matthew Sweet playing that bit. So. That's a cool. I love how that that starts off. Yeah. That's such an engaging beginning to a song. Yep, yep. And then they there's a little bit of backwards tape loop in uh, in the chorus, and then there's of mm-hmm. course him singing "Here Comes the Sun" or "Here Comes the Sunshine." Here comes part. the sunshine. Yeah, yeah which is <laughs> you know. Uh, and then they do the uh, "Strawberry Fields Forever." So, fade out, fade back in. Well, they did that literally. I wasn't joking. They literally did that because they all thought that solo needs to be heard in its entirety. So they faded it back in so you could hear the rest of the, that, that solo. <laughs> um, here's a funny little story about the song. So the studio they were in was in a high rise and it was surrounded by other high rises. And Mank, who plays drums on this, says that at one point while he's drumming, he looks out the window and he sees a very pretty woman undressing. <laughs> in, in a high rise across from him and he's like that he goes if you want to know what the inspiration behind the drumming on this song is that was it and i definitely completed it in one take that was his comment on it but, so does um, he credit that to divine intervention <laughs> this is a pretty bitter song if you ask me um, I, yeah I, I do want to ask you what he's talking about well, I don't know what he's talking about. Yeah. Well, I think on the surface, he's talking about his own doubts about whether there's a God or not. And I think he would freely admit that that's what he was going for. But I think there's also this. And he's counting on him. Well, I think I think it's, it's you know, that agnostic take. Of like, Is it I'm not it's sure a, I'm, my life screwed up and it's God's fault? Uh, I don't think it's that much. I think it's more that. Yeah, show me if, if you're there, show me. And, and it's not like I'm counting on it. I'm, it's almost sarcastic the way that he's saying. Still waiting on his divine intervention. It's it's a almost a tongue in cheek sort of. Yeah, I'm waiting. I, on this is I, this I is think, a song I would like a lot more if I didn't didn't understand the language. I think I think Doug might be onto something though, Jam. I think there is a little bit of uh, this is a, why why is the world in such a bad shape if there is a God. I think there's a little bit of that going on, but I think it's also coming from a point of view of, of a guy. Again, let's let's remember who this guy is. He's been busting his hump trying to get two, you know, to get a record career off. He's had two labels sign him and drop him. His wife just divorced him, and he's sitting around thinking, you know, woe is me. I mean, it's it's uh, sure. So, um, but all of that is encased in one hell of a song <laughs> musically. It is. It's it's yeah. five plus minutes long. It doesn't feel that way to me ever. That's, no, that's it true. It doesn't. <clears throat> ever. Does not. It was uh it was a number twenty three modern rock hit when it came out. 
Um, I I love this song. Again, I get what you're saying. You like girlfriend, Doug, but I think this is the just a just a fantastic way. Of course, it's hard for me to separate myself from this album. I owned it in '91 and when it came out and listened to it nonstop. So maybe I, yeah. I it's hard for me to think of another way to start it. But anytime that song kicks in with the back, I remember the first time I heard this album and that song kicked in. I thought this would. And I heard it on a big stereo with big speakers, and I just went, "This is the way to start an album." It is. It's not a song that you should listen to quietly. No, it needs. No. You need the full. It yeah. it, it is. It's how, not a nighttime song. Yeah. Well, it, it uh, needs eleven. It, it's uh, it's a nighttime song if you're driving down the highway with the windows down. This is one of those songs that you got to crank in the car. And if you're to. Yeah. bitter, <laughs> like the hot girl that you thought. You're about to uh, start dating, doesn't date you, then, and you need to blame God for it. And I don't know if it's, I mean, I think there's a little bit of that there, but I think JM's also right. I think there's a, some tongue in cheek about uh, people who he thinks rely so much on that. And it's really, yeah. You know, well, does he love us? Does he love us? Does he love us? Ah. Uh. <laughs> But That's, then there's a part where he goes, he, he, he changes the lyrics because I'm still counting on, so, and then I'm still yeah, waiting it, on. It's it's a very confusing song because he's asking, does he does love us? Does he love us? And he looks around and sees destruction. So I, I struggled with this because it sounds a little immature. I mean, well, I think I think it's, I think that this is an immature. I think he's an immature songwriter to to a degree. I don't think that he's. I mean, he's not on par with. Like a Jackson I, Brown or a, I, I think it's a guy he's who's not wise beyond his years. I think it's a guy who's uncertain. How old is he when he makes yeah. this album? Twenty four. Oh, okay. Well, wait, no, no, no. He's older than that. He was born in what sixty four. Born so in sixty four. He's older than I am. He's so twenty six. He's twenty six. Yeah. Listen, it's a guy again. Twenty six isn't. It's it's hard not to sound juvenile at 26 but, but that's again, the first year your brain stops again i think you, i think you guys are throwing a little too much shade on this i mean this is a guy who's just it's just doubt he's doubting the stuff he's not i mean that's why it's confusing because there's no certainty t yeah. yeah doug we have a song that comes after divine inspiration <laughs> divine intervention, intervention. intervention. <laughs> divine inspiration is what i have ladies and gentlemen this is uh the the next song is i've been waiting This is an attractive pop song, Tony. It's three three and a half minutes of jangly perfection is what this song is. It is very uh, jangly. Fan. I'm, you can I'm always impressed you... with someone who can do arpeggios as regular yeah. as they are on this. Well, and 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 just the again, we're I don't want to sound like a broken record, but and Richard Lloyd's solo on this song is so fantastic. It's beautiful. It's Absolutely beautiful. beautiful. It's so, I mean, and, it's and, unbelievably melodic. And one thing I want to say about um, Matthew Sweet's voice, he does not have the strongest or most expressive voice in the world, but if his voice is meant for anything, it seems to be made for 
harmonizing with itself. So this is the this is the best song on the album for his voice. I I want to say something. I want to piggyback on what you just said, Jam. I think that Matthew Sweet uses harmony almost better than anyone else does. The way he punctuates songs with it, the way he it's it's not. I mean, it's not overused. Oh, it's perfect. It's perfect. I I agree with that. Um, I agree with that. This was a song. I agree more. (laughs) This is a song that he wrote (laughs) about his future wife. There's yeah. a girl he ended up marrying. He he met her, uh, or when he reconnected with her, he wrote this song after that reconnection, and uh, you know, and it's about this how how great it is to fall in love again type of thing. So it's yeah. a, it's yeah. that juxtaposition of a guy who'd gone through this horrible divorce or this horrible feeling of a divorce, and now here's this happy pop tune about being in love. Um, yeah. Do you think he, he um, took any comfort or enjoyment? Out of the thought of his ex-wife hearing this, oh, I don't know. If he's I, like I, me, he probably would. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. But I, I think it's. Uh, I think it's great. You know, the line uh, when you said to me, "You're not so old." He said that that's commenting on the fact that yeah. he felt washed up at that point. Twenty six years old, and he felt like he was just like he was done for. Yeah, and, I guess. Boy, ladies and gentlemen, if you're one of the three people under thirty who have. Um, Listen to our podcast. You can't wash <laughs> up in your twenties. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. You're going to screw up over and over and over again. And by the time you're our age, you're going to laugh about everything that happened in your twenties. So relax and enjoy yourself, and listen to this is Vinyl Tap every week. That's right. Yeah. And then the line about you can wear my clothes is just a, I think, a really you know yeah. I, I know what you said. That's uh, a good line. It I stands think- out, and I didn't. I never understood what the hell it meant until today. I was actually listening to it, just going, "Oh, what does it mean?" Oh, it's just when you're so when you're so in love and you're close to somebody. Yeah. They're they're they're. It sounds over. like they're doing stuff that only married people. Well, I mean, just like <laughs> is there anything that, that? There's two things that there's not. First of all, there's nothing sexier than a girl wearing your shirt and nothing else. But I, the other thing we is, found something to disagree about, Jay. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you I think Doug and I both You must like, have very different shirts than I <laughs> But I mean there's just something very when somebody feels comfortable when a girl's over That's what that's about. You got a girlfriend that's, I understand you, what that's about. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Tom Waits did it better. Maybe, I will leave with you all the clothes I wore. Except my leather jacket. That's pretty good. Uh, That's a Tom Waits, if I have to say so myself. I, I think. Yeah. I think. Um, one of you guys said something about his songwriting, uh, Matthew Sweet's songwriting. I think it's being a little harsh because I think he's able to pop out some pretty good lines every now and then. Are really? I think he's great at popping out lines. I think he's terrible at sustaining them. But that's. That's, I, I think he, he gets it on this. I think he this. writes excellent, very attractive, very irresistible melodies. And I'll, I'll just go ahead and say this here, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I don't like to say bad things about the artists we're listening to. Number one, the problems I have with this album are my problems and not the album's problems. Well, but I will say this. In order to understand my feelings about this album... If this was sung by Rod Stewart, and if the lyrics were written by Warren Zavon, I don't believe I would ever be able to get this out of the CD player. It's <laughs> the, because the tunes and the guitar and the band are so fantastic. 
but I do have I a, I, I have a, his voice is fine on this one. I think his voice is fine. Period. I love I, his voice. I think his fine voice is fine. Period. But I, I agree with Doug on it. It's we, we've talked about that. Like it, it's it's voice, this is terrible, but it's is too sweet. I, it's perfect. It's not distinctive, but he's it's too he sweet. Can, it's very very few people who I, can harmonize. I, I would say that there's we'll a guy. To, there's well, a there's a guy in when I was in college, a guy in the dorm who would always have these girls over. And he'd always be going, oh, girl, you look so pretty. Oh, you're so sweet. Oh, you things you say are so crazy, girl. You And these girls would always go to his dorm room so they could meet other guys in the dorm and date them instead of him. And <laughs> Matthew Sweet's voice makes me think of that guy every time I hear it. <laughs> well, I would say we would have to, I would have to agree to disagree, but I will just disagree. <laughs> well, okay. But, but one thing I, I want to—the last thing. So this song, you disagree. The one thing I want to say is this song is well. I've said lots of things about this song. Okay, the last thing I want to say about this is something that Doug harped on, or harp uh, brought harp. up earlier. Not you didn't harp on like it. a the, harpy. The thing that you brought out about the appreciated the appreciated guitars on this are so layered and so intricate. I mean, I could almost it's so assume. regular, and yeah, but they're so intertwining. I could no, I could no, they are. I I'm just, just yeah. I'm extremely impressed uh, yeah. by it, and it works yeah, so perfectly. I'm so and impressed. it's, I, I guess, if you're going to do itself. power pop, that's uh, that's yeah. the you have to learn to. I mean, do that. this is this is like a lesson in power pop jangle. Like, I, I love this song so much, I don't even miss the hand claps. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, we everything, everything that Tony wants except the hand claps. Yeah, yeah you know, that's fine. a good they're point, Tony. They're fine that they're not on here. They, uh, they're probably some places they could have had the hand claps. <laughs> and is there a 12 string guitar at all? On this song, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's a 12 string guitar on that. Well, it's jangle. certainly jangly. Yeah, it's jangly. It's jingle jangle in well, the morning. And, and what's funny about that is it's, it's Richard Lloyd and Robert Quine was the big birds fan of the two of them. Oh yeah, yeah. Really? Oh yeah. He's hmm. a big, big, big bird fan. Well, T. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, yes, sir. A very big hit's about to hit us. The title track of the album, ladies and gentlemen, girlfriend. Cause you need to be back in the arms of a good friend. And I need. Okay, okay. If you're an A&R guy, and you hear this, and you don't insist on signing this guy, you have cognitive problems. This is a you hit. You know what? Uh, this song does not do that much for me. Whoa! I, cannot, I, I, I don't know if it... I just Let's... like so much more of the album, but to me, this is it's, it's not a bad song. And, and and I've liked it more that, since I've been listening to it the, the last few weeks. Um, normally, this this song would just absolutely leave me cold, but now that I've been listening to it more, I'm, there's I love how the guitars interplay with each other, and it's 
the the part that I've started to appreciate about the song is like when the guitar solo actually happens. It's like the the guy is like so frustrated. He keeps trying to play the solo, keeps trying to play the solo, and they won't let him play it. When he actually does get to do it, like a burst of energy coming out through this song. The rest of it is just not that that interesting to me. I'm, okay, Jim. I'm, yep. That's I'm, why I'm I mean this is I'm, this is a good as a good friend. I think you need to go check on your hearing, <laughs> or, or go see go maybe go see a doctor. I've got a few. You know, give you, you got low T, JM. Um, this if you're in the roller skating ring and this song comes out, you double your speed doubles. Yeah, this it, is energy, energy, energy. So this uh, this is what he's for. I think this was originally called Good Friend, the song, and. Yeah. Uh, and Lloyd Cole says that uh, for some reason Matthew Sweet was reluctant about addressing the fact that he found somebody like he was happy again, and he finally well, said, "For God's sake, just call it girlfriend and get it over with." And so he did it. But it's the first song with Robert Quine on it, and uh, he does a and, number on and, it, and it's incredible. What, I think he does a great job on it. What, I, I think he's a fine. You know what? I think the the you know what draws me back from this song. His vocals. It needs to be more guttural, like the end of it. It needs it, to be more masculine. It needs to be more masculine. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're absolutely way, missing the point of this album by saying it, Jam. I'm, I know people get upset the, the when, song I, or the when I get angry about stuff like that, but that's missing the point of this album by saying his voice needs to be more guttural on this. This song, I think the vulnerable beta male voice works. I don't know. I don't know something about it. Just it, I love the good, everything. Just is punching so hard, and then the the voice just comes through. Good friend, you know, you're just like it just doesn't it just doesn't hit me, you know. If you were here, I'd like to. <laughs> <laughs> T's getting. I love his, I'm miserable. not saying that. He's, I'm not. T's getting I, restless gonna, over here. It's a good thing you I, got I, that I disease love, when you did, Jim. I, I love Matthew Sweet's voice because he's got a sweet voice. He doesn't have the, I don't know. I could imagine somebody like Rod Stewart or someone. Well, you, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give you this. Matthew Sweet didn't think this should be the single. Um, and he's he said that he was surprised because it was the most unlike him, well, the song. I, and then the, the then it's got that, ah, uh, it doesn't need that. It, the, it, the, the, the backing vocals with that, ah, uh, doesn't need, it doesn't need to be in there. It's a Beatles, ah. Uh. Yeah, and doesn't need to be in there. I think it's good. No, I like I, I, I like sure this song a, a bunch. Why I'm not an yeah, this was, this was a, this, guy. This was a single. Just, it reached number four on the modern rock charts chart, rod modern rock uh, tracks chart, number ten on the mainstream rock tracks chart Billboard. Uh, by the end of '92, this album had gone gold, and it was mainly due to this song. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure it was, that. but that that's why I'm not an A&R guy. It was on it's featured on Guitar Hero 2. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you know you That's the guitar video game, game, right? Okay, everything that you're talking about, the guitars on this I think are fantastic. But it's Well, let's just let's the... real quick talk about Robert Quine. So, the, the thing that makes I think this so great is the way Lloyd Lloyd Cole describes what Quine does so perfectly in that his he says his genius is playing stuff that 
by all intents and purposes, should be sound heavy handed and not melodic. Yeah. And for, and coming out of that guy, it sounds melodic and not heavy handed, and it fits with the yeah. song perfectly. Um, and, I got a I got a question for you, T. Yeah. Um, we've talked a little bit about sweet having a sweet voice. Uh huh. I'm wondering if part of the purpose of the guitars is to unsweeten the album. Well, because I, they are very salty. No, I, I, good, yeah, and I think that works really well on songs like this. But there are it other does. songs on the album where the music's sweet to match his voice, and I like those as well. So yeah, yeah. The first time we listened to this, that the absolute first thing I noticed were the guitars. Well, they're and, hard to miss. Yeah. Well, they're up, they're up high on the mix, and I do believe they bring, they balance the album out. I think he'd be the first person if, to tell if, you that if he had Al Stewart. Uh, <laughs> Al Stewart has the same problem. He's got that kind of voice, but he also has sweet guitars that don't that don't balance it out. I don't can't believe you just compared Matthew Sweet to Al. Stewart. I didn't. Who who is this Quine uh, guy? Or he's in a he's a fascinating character. He was um, born in Ohio. He um, came from kind of an erudite family. If anybody who's into um, uh, you like a train Anglo yeah. his 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 uncle uh was uh Will, um Willard Quine who who is uh, he's in philosophy he's uh kind of like in modern See the guy philosophy. that does he, those uh diabetes commercials I don't know that's no. Wilfred Brimley sorry. He he just came up with a He's the a, one that put uh, the stuff in the uh, tonic water. <laughs> You're thinking of Berkeley. Um, he, Quite not. But anyway, he, he, his but he, his uh, uncle was was very a very famous philosopher. He came from like I said a very erudite family. He um, also started becoming like into LSD and all that stuff. But he was also so um, he did not like any of the like the Jefferson Airplane, um, uh, Grateful Dead sort of psychedelic movement he was more into what was going on with john coltrane and and all the weird stuff that, that he was doing he was much more in that avant-garde jazz sort of stuff and so he started playing with some avant-garde jazz musicians um and it's it's kind of odd that he got into he, well he became a fan of lou reed he became a huge fan of the velvet underground because he thought that that they were doing what uh Coltrane was doing and that avant-garde jazz stuff. So he's, he wanted to kind of do that with guitar, but he didn't want to do it in a, in a jazz idiom. He wanted to get in. So he was just fascinated by Lou Reed and he actually got to join Lou Reed's band. So a lot of the stuff that he does is, is this kind of noise distortion sort of stuff, but he can also display these uh, just heartbreaking guitar solos that are, are very layered and uh, listen to the, the some of the stuff he did on the blue mask by Lou Reed. And it's, it's, it's fascinating stuff, but he's, he's just a, a fascinating guy to read up on. Unfortunately, um, he had a, it wasn't necessarily an uncontrollable drug habit. A lot of people said that he was actually like one of the most in control drug users they'd ever seen, but his wife died of an overdose and he committed suicide in 2004 
of a purposeful drug over uh, heroin overdose. So, um, but if you ever, there's a, some video of him playing with Lou Reed that is just fascinating to watch him play what he, what he and Lou Reed can do together on guitars. It's just fascinating. Um, look it up on YouTube. Some of the stuff he does is amazing. So anyway, that's what I want to say about him. I studied Quine, uh, his uncle in, in college, Anglo uh, European philosophy. Y'all still there? <laughs> Y'all are acting like you're not there. <laughs> Sorry, Jay. <laughs> I started looking up all the stuff you were talking about. Um, <laughs> well, who are we talking about? <laughs> Robert. Oh, that's Robert. Robert. It's a. Uh, it's like Matthew Sweet. You know, that's a, just well, make that an outtake. But it's, so, it's, he's a so, fascinating guy. You know, the, the thing that I find uh, I feel bad for, Dennis Taylor, who played with Matthew Sweet live later on, he, you know, we talked about how Quine pieced all this stuff together. He had to learn how to do that stuff live. He had to re replicate it live. And, wow, really? Yeah. yeah, and he did a pretty decent job. Well, uh, yeah. the the uh, live live bits that I saw were pretty impressive. So yeah. I guess no, he pulled it off. Actually, uh, Quine had a law degree. Didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> oh Man, my! You know what? going to be more tape on the floor at I the end just, of this. The guy had a size ten shoe, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I really like that girlfriend song. And then we have one about looking at the sun. Mm -hmm. And it's not Bruce Springsteen. Okay, T. Yeah. What's he talking about? Well, I think I, I think this is, is it his relationship where he burned out his eyes already, and he's no. talking to this new girl. I, I, I mean, I think it is about the new girl, but I don't know. I, I don't think it's um, the damage is already done. Well, like I said, I think he felt. At, you know, I mentioned this when he filed for divorce. He felt he felt a lot of guilt about that and a lot of remorse about it. I think that may be what he's talking about. It, he's feeling like damaged goods. Well, that's that's what I think. I think he's saying, "Are you sure you want to be yeah. with this guy yeah. that's already burned out his eyes looking into the sun?" Yeah, I think that's. I think you're right. I'm sorry, I misunderstood you. Yeah, I th I think this is a well constructed song. I love the groove on this song. Yep, I do too. It's got that jump beat that I'm I'm a well, sucker they, for. It seems like. These very attractive tunes come to him really easily, and uh, that, that may be because I'm not seeing all the hard work behind him. But he seems like that's his gift. I I think he is. Uh, people who've worked with him have commented on how quickly he can come up with a tune and and a good tune. Yeah, and it's very few of them make me think. Oh, that reminds me of. Somebody else's song. There is one song on the album that reminds me of somebody. I want to REM. No, 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 no. I want to see if you guys. We haven't gotten to it yet. It's, it's. It, it, I've listened to this I've album a million times. Tell you, yeah. And yeah. then I heard this. I was like, oh my god, this reminds me of this other band we've talked about. Yeah. So anyway, 
This is one There's of my favorite really, songs. It's a great song. Oh, it's I'm a great it. song. It's one of my favorites. We too. haven't it's had a bad song yet. Well, that's yeah. what I that's what I wanted to say. The I said this when we did this the first time, so I'm going to say it again. The first six songs on this album, and this was released on CD, and then later on, I think three years later, it was put on LP. But the first side of this album, which is comprised of the first six songs of this album, in my opinion, may be in the top three greatest sides of an album ever. For, for really? Me. I, wow. lo- I love the first side of this album. I think it's a masterpiece. I think it's masterfully synced. All the song, it works so well together. And there's not a there's not a bad song on it. The second side is a little more mellow, so it it doesn't have quite that punch. But yeah, the first going from uh, divine intervention all the way to um, to uh, Evangeline. It, uh, no, Winona, I think, or no, it is Evangeline. Um, yeah. That that is that is just an amazing set of songs. Anyway, yeah, yeah. But going back to looking at the sun, um, there is some really great acoustic guitar playing on this. If you listen to it closely, it it I'm, I'm guessing that's sweet playing those. It is. He plays lines. he plays all the rhythm stuff. He must yeah, be a good musician if he's able and to the bass. The bass on it is it's really him. really good too. Yeah, I think um, I think he was one of these kids in school that just locked himself everything. in his room and just just that was what well, he did. I, I you think know? he has some natural talent. No, I think so too. But <laughs> as a guy without natural talent. Uh, I can I can recognize it. Yeah, Winona, Winona, is that a Judd? Uh, no, it is it's a, a writer. It's a writer. What's Wynoma about? Well, <laughs> if you ask Matthew Sweet, he says that uh, he had this line, you, could you be my little movie star? And uh, he didn't have a title yet. And Lloyd Cole knew he liked the movie Heathers. And because Wynona Judd was in that and the song had a country Writer, feel. not Judd. I'm sorry. Right. Wynona Ryder was in it and it had a country feel to it with the name Wynona with a steel guitar. Uh, that Lloyd Cole said, why don't you call it that after Winona Ryder? What Lloyd wow. Cole says is that's all BS, that Matthew Sweet just doesn't want to admit that he was somewhat obsessed with Winona Ryder and that the song is obviously <laughs> about her. <laughs> so, who's, who's Winona Ryder? She's, uh, she was in Heather's. She was... Um, I, don't, I never saw she's Heather. The, that did you watch, did you, in Stranger she's Things. She's in Stranger Things. She plays a mom in Stranger either. Things. Isn't that a kid's movie? <laughs> That's a good show. She's in. Uh, uh, she she's in, in Beetle, Edward Scissorhands. Uh, Edward Scissorhands. Edward Scissorhands. I didn't see that. She's, in, she's not in Beetlejuice. That's what's her name. But she's in Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, I like the ornaments in Beetlejuice. Oh, um, and Lucas. That's where she got her. Start. I mean, I, she's not as attractive as my wife. But um, anyway, it, it's that opening. She's line. also in uh, the video for us. Uh, um, the Mojo Nixon so song. Silent. Oh. No, the Mojo Nixon song about uh, Martha Quinn. Stuff and Martha's oh, yeah. muffin. Mu- muffin. Stuff and muffin. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Debbie Debbie Gibson's 
pregnant with my two-headed love child. That's the video she's in. Okay, I'm going to have to do some <laughs> research on this because I, I don't know these people. And anyway, <laughs> all, the, all the examples you gave me are things I haven't seen. <laughs> this, so that, li- that line that starts this song is something that I'm not sure that kids born today would or within the last 25 years would know. Because it's a busy line. I tried line. to call you, but your line was busy. And I tried again much later. I didn't want to let it ring again. Will break your heart, and then all of a sudden, the phone's not. Yeah, you're afraid it's going to go right to to the answering machine. That's well, a fantastic line. When you listen to the rhythm section on this, it's great song. Who does it remind yeah. you of? I don't know. See the lonely man out on the weekend. It's the most Neil Youngish, really. Uh, yeah, okay. With that bass and that uh, I, drum playing together the way they the are. Sand or cowgirl. No, I, sand. well, yeah, but I hear uh, she's so fine. She's on my mind. Can we uh, can we talk about the steel player a little bit? I, well, I kept hearing the steel player thinking, I bet T digs it. Well, it's it's yeah, it's it's really a nice touch. It is. Uh, it's it's it's, oh, it a, is. it's beautiful, it, and it it it's a uh, juxtaposed it's so against weepy. the. Uh, Against the aggressive guitars, it works really when when Matthew Sweet met. Uh, how do you say his last name, Jam? Leish. Leish. When he met Greg Leish, not Lake, uh, <laughs> the two of them actually bonded over Graham Parsons, and he asked him if he was uh, if he could play like Sneaky Pete from the Burritos. And uh, when he said yes, he's like, "I got to get this guy on my album." So he's on a yeah. three or four songs. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's this. It's is just that a really Snakey Pete from Land of the Lost. <laughs> it, it is actually. <laughs> um, th- there are a couple of there are a couple of bands that I really like that are that lean more towards. This is not the surprise part. That lean more towards the power pop side of stuff that have a steel guitar in their in their songs, and it really lends itself to music oh, yeah. to songs like this really really well. Yeah, I mean, he's played with Camper Van Beethoven. You can't. I mean, that's not power pop. That's pretty, you can't get much more alt 90s than, than Camper Van Beethoven. And I would have thought that Richard Lloyd is playing the guitar on this, but it's Robert Quine again. Really? Yeah. I would have thought that was Richard Lloyd too. Yeah. It's not, because it's really pretty. Out on the it's, weekend. I mean, a, that's the Neil Young song that reminds yeah. me of oh. so much. I like that bit, the song where it just gets to... Where that's all you hear is his vocals. I do too. I like drums. Yeah. I, I love it. I love yeah, it on Harvest when drums. he does it. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah, Evangeline. Ah, uh, you want me to move on to Evangeline? Well, you don't have to if you uh, had something else. To no, say. I'd love to hear that. Evangeline. There's context to this song that most most casual listeners wouldn't know. Well, I'm a casual listener, so so I'm not saying that I didn't know this either. Uh, but it's a it's about a comic book hero that was there's a comic book in the 80s called Evangeline, 
And mm-hmm. the uh, it's about a it takes place in the 23rd century, and it's about a sexy killer vigilante nun who goes out and writes the wrongs of about <laughs> uh, and she's got she's got a partner named Johnny Six who is got the hots for her. and that song the songs from the point of view of that guy that's why he's saying too bad the only only sung by Johnny Six yeah oh really right here okay. on the album does it oh yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's it's from his point of view. So that's why he says, "Too bad the only uh, was it the only man she knows is God above or whatever." Because that's who huh. she's devoted to. She's a nun, and he's like, "That's that stinks for me." So, yeah, that's that's a pretty interesting point of view. Yeah, <laughs> <A lot> of, <laughs> I, that's wild. That way, but the song is in drop D tuning, evidently. Uh, if one of you guys want to huh. talk about that a little bit, you said drop D, drop D. Yeah, well, you drop E to D, right, Jim? Yeah, you dropped it. Yeah, and so you just have a. That's what you know, uh, make the chord Keith structures Richards a little different. Did. Yeah, so. that was his deal. David Gilmore plays out of that a lot as well. Well, but the and, guitar interplay on this song—it's it, my favorite on the album. It, just the way that um, little rundown plays every time he says "Evangeline." That yeah, it's great. He yeah, uh, so he he normally played uh, jazz masters and strats, but for this song he's playing a um, a '56 gold top reissue because it was the only guitar that would hold that drop D tuning. Oh, really? So that's what he's playing. Uh, is that uh, you talking about Sweet or Matthew Sweet? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, cool. what happened was uh, he was messing around with that drop D tuning and. He said, this is just, you know, I don't understand this, but enough musicians say it, it's got to be a thing. He said the song came out of the blue. He was just strumming along that drop D tuning, and all of a sudden the 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 hook of the song came to him. Oh, that and, bump, bump. Yeah, and he's like, okay, here's here's Evangeline. Uh, well, you know what's interesting about it? Uh, maybe, that, maybe the thing that I've been saying was the, uh, was the bass. Maybe that he's just holding that... That's that drop D. I thought it was like a he was holding the D on the bass, just doing a boom, 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 boom. And it's like the holes in the song, there is a D that is just being held throughout the whole song. It's almost like a drone. Yeah. And I thought that was the bass playing it, but well, maybe it's the maybe it's the guitar that's doing that. And the other thing, he, um, so well, as I said, he he's not playing his his typical guitars, but he he said he just handed his jazz master to Richard Lloyd and just said, go ahead. So, so the so, nuts. yeah solos on the jazz, jazz master, master. The, most of the rhythms yeah. on this uh, this uh, gold top gold top uh, uh, issue. Um, Les Paul, I'm guessing yeah. is what he's yeah. yeah Les Paul. Does anybody else make a gold top? I don't think so. I don't think I so. like the jazz master. That's what Elvis Costello always played. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's that's. I think his. I don't know if if he likes this or not, but I think that's the guitar he's his go to. That's his, the ones he's associated with. When you think about jazz master, you think about Elvis Costello. The yeah. the other kind of interesting thing about this song is there's a little, but this between this song and the next song, there's a bit of a record crackle. Added yeah, to yeah. The song. I was wondering about it, that. So that's to let you know that you're going to side two. Well, after the, like the, Tom Petty did. It, well, it was a yeah. it was a CD <clears throat> when it was issued, so I'm not sure if that is. But what what the deal is is there's another song later on that has a similar little crackle to it, and that's supposed to symbolize the end of the album, even uh-huh. though there's three mm-hmm. songs after that crackle. The what I was going to say yeah, is we can get to that when it comes. Yeah, what I was going to yeah. say is interesting about it is it's from a it's taped off of a 12 inch Morrissey single. 
<laughs> I guess they had in the studio. They just put it yeah. on and it. Well, you, you remember what was it? Uh, which Tom Petty album was it? Hard Promises. Uh, Full Moon Fever. Full Moon What's Fever, in it? Hard Promises. For the sake of those people listening through the album, we will pause no, right now on the CD. Yeah, that's that's Full Moon. Fever. Is it? Yeah. I always thought that was funny. That's such yeah. a great album. It is a great Attention album. Attention CD listeners. Um, <laughs> I, I love the way the vocals are mixed on this. They're, they're kind of buried in it, but you, you can hear them when they're when when some of the instruments dropped out, and then all with the e the ahs come in and out of of the in, at, at certain spots, and then there's that part where the all the instruments drop out almost. Yeah. And his vocals are really trebly, and they just put the treble mix up as high as they possibly can, and it's all his vocals. And then yeah. they bring all those. Uh, it's, such, it's just a, I, it's, a, it's, a it's a prime example of what I was talking about earlier about his ability to use harmony in a way that's uh, yeah. just almost unparalleled. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. He pays a lot of attention to the vocals. I don't know actually. If, I don't know if that's him or if it's. Uh, Fred Mayer producing it or what, but it's, it's masterful the way his vocals, especially this song is probably the most interesting vocally of his songs on the album. And then we have Day for Night. Yeah, which I guess technically is the first song on side two. Yeah. You hear that, ladies and gentlemen? We just turned over a non-turnoverable album. Well, yeah. All right. Day for Night. So he's in love again. Is there a such thing as a blues pop song? <laughs> I have that in my notes. Do you know what this sound reminds me of? Oh, darling, by the Beatles. Well, you know what? Why you? What's so funny that you say that, JM? Is that uh, so? They deliberately put Matthew Sweet's voice through an echo device as an homage to that song to Oh, oh darling. Really? And then wow. if you listen to it, the whole song is an homage. Has that, it's that it's a whole, slow the whole thing is, a, yeah, is an homage yeah. to Oh, Darling. I, it's, oh, it's, Darling. It's absolutely, you're absolutely spot on there. Yeah. But uh, the uh, weird, there's enough of like, enough original that this yeah. quite substantial song on its own. Well, and going back to the harmony, what he does here is he's, it's like this, it's barely audible in the background of his of the main line of the melody and it's it's just a really neat way to use it it adds a depth to to the song and it, and he's using it in a way that he hasn't in previous songs so well it's a good yeah. tune and it, it's a nice little break it's it, a weird get to slow down a little bit yeah well do especially you think- that, that chorus is is pretty weird but it, it's i like the guitars on it how layered they are mm-hmm. you almost can't tell what the chord progression is do you uh I, i'm wondering if the line my life was simply very bright so i traded the day for night is is his poetic poetic way of talking about being divorced <laughs> i mean it's just <laughs> if it is it's a really it's pretty pretty remarkable yeah. but yeah. i don't know and i thought i knew you you did I did, and that's next. Here's a figure out that there was nothing you would take from me, and how can I describe the way so deep 
Is is he losing his religion? <laughs> oh, you know that that's not what this reminds me of. This song immediately reminded me of that song. It reminds me of love. Yeah. That's I what I that hear. Too. I didn't even think about REM, but that's funny. Well, it's I, definitely I, a twelve string, yeah, acoustic heaven when he's doing yeah, which love. And this is this is Matthew cool. Sweet's listed as the playing the lead on this, so I'm guessing that really great acoustic solo is him on yeah. the song. So. And you can tell it's on a twelve string too, because it's and that's not easy. This is not my favorite song on the album. There it's not the most original chord progression, but I, I like the way the guitars are played on this. Um, it's just a pretty tired chord progression, I guess. I think it's a necessary break from electric. Well, I'll agree with you there. Yeah. And it's it's not a happy tune. Oh, no. no. It's not. It's a very minor. Well, and just the, the, just the subject matter is such a heartbreaking thing, you know. It's uh, that line yeah. about, uh, I thought I'd show you there was no way we could lose. I thought I'd force you to realize and choose. And it took me years to figure out that there was nothing I could show you. Years to figure out that you were never really going to choose. I mean, that's just horrible. It's like this realization that no matter what I put into this, it was inevitable yeah. we'd be where we are right now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, 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 Unlike you, Jam, I like this song a lot. I, I like it, and uh, I like the way it doesn't let the tension go away Yeah, because it reflects the, the meaning of what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. Good point, yeah. All right. You don't love me, Tony. Well, speaking of heartbreak... It's funny that the tune starts lifting right when he starts talking about that she doesn't love him. And the, the, the lyrics get depressing while the tune lifts. Yeah. But it's it's a sad song. But it me. drops down. Oh, it comes well. back down. I, again. I think that's yeah. I think that's amazing. That steel that's the steel doing that, right? It lifts up and yeah. that you don't love me. And then, I, I think that is I so love great. This song. Yeah, I, I absolutely love this song. It is it's such a tender song. It's so sweet, and it's and I you know the thing about it that when he talks about what a a beautiful moment, and he's talking about a breakup, and I, I, there's something well, like there's it, it's almost beautiful sometimes. Like Joni Mitchell says, I write sad songs because they're beautiful, I, I, and it's it, it seems to me that that's what he's talking about. I think the you know. thing that's really, to me, heartbreaking about this song is how just matter of fact he is about it. Is what very, he's singing. yeah, that's exactly very right. matter of fact. It, no, nothing exactly. is, yeah, nothing is um, uh, a metaphor. There's no simile. Yeah. It's just this is happening yeah. to me and, right now. I'm sitting on the floor and I can feel you walking out my door. Yeah, and he hey, says, that rhyme, and, by the way. Yeah, the, and, and, and she can't believe that he loves her, and so he's just like, "Well, there's nothing else I can do." You know, you can't you know, believe he, it. Just the line you, you think you think uh, you think it might make you happy. Then I guess it's okay for you to go away. That's just <laughs> he's just. I mean, it sounds that, like I mean, if, yeah, taken in its context, out of context, that that line just so, sounds almost like Ugh, but, this. This isn't my favorite song on the album, but 
I think if I could relate to what he's talking about, it might be. I just, <laughs> I just think musically, it's so interesting. It's so such oh, a yeah. simple song, but the way, as you mentioned, I it's funny that you that I because I have that in my notes too. What the steel does in the chorus, uh-huh. how it goes up and I up, and then it goes down. It, like like you said, yeah. the steel's doing what the guitars are doing. They're they're, uh, yeah, they're commenting the st- on the song. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I think we all got the steel on this. It's just so weepy. It just. Oh, and that, God, and, it, and then throughout the tune is this just unbelievable yeah. mournful lead playing over everything. Yeah. It's oh, and then uh, his piano playing. Oh yeah, just it's so sparse. But when it comes in, it's just like that. Dun, dun, dun. You like, know, it, it, if you if you listen to this album on headphones, and I recommend it, it yeah. fades out right when it appears Robert Quine is about to go off. And I think that yeah. was the right choice. On this song. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that. I can't. I noticed that today when I was listening to it. It's like, yeah, it's like he's just. I think about Rita Coolidge unleash. had written a uh, outro for this, and Lord, uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. But it, it's it's definitely a highlight of the album. Um, well, I want to tell you. You do. I'm gonna start saying that. Well, sir, I want to tell you. It sounds like we got back on side one. Yeah. It does. Yeah. Um, this is a fun, fun pop tune. It is. It is. And it's got, again, the, just the incredible use of harmony vocals. Yep. I agree with you. The, the, when the chorus comes in, it's great. But to me, it almost sounds like they could have lifted this chorus and put it someplace else. The rest of the song doesn't fit for me. Does anybody, does anybody else get that feeling? I mean, it's just like a tired chord progression, and then that chorus comes in, and the harmonies are, are fantastic, and it's so powerful, but the rest of the song just doesn't seem like it fits the chorus. I don't know. I like it. I think it's got a nice little groove to it. None of that. Nothing of the song me. sounds tired to me. Yeah. yeah I mean, so the, the, the chord progression well, sounds tired to me. It's been most, it's been done a hundred times. Well, most know. chord progressions have been done a thousand. Some of my know, favorite songs are uh, the same. You listen, know, know, J- Jet Airliner. It's, yeah. it's the same damn thing every other song in the world. Has. <laughs> I know, yeah. Um, no, I, I just love. I the, think this is good enough. It's good. I like. I like. The little boost you get after you don't love me, I think it's necessary. Yeah, no, I well, think I agree with you there. I think, but... I think it's again good placement. Um, yeah, because this the second side is a bit of a a bit of a mellower letdown downer type. Yeah, and it's yeah. not because it's bad music. It's no. just that we we lose some energy and we lose some uh, right. Yeah, because we're talking yeah. about some sad stuff. Don't go. That sounds like uh, hot house flowers.
I hear REM again. This is this is the just the complete opposite of you don't love me. This is uh, to me this is as close, bitterness. This is as close as he gets to uh, that Lennon primal scream. You know, mm-hmm. it's just it's all angst, all bitter, all uh it it's just this loud plea you know and including the guitars the guitars sound like an unadulterated <laughs> plea to please stick around um this this song gets me like like nobody's business it's so it's so heartbreaking well know? is he talking about suicide i don't believe so He's, what's the line about um I can walk. Don't can't watch go. Your... I want to the line. I want to see you in going into your grave. No, or... he says I can't watch them put you in the ground. Yeah, I yeah. think that's talking about the relationship. Maybe I'm wrong, but well, it may be I talking about a death. Of I want to see one. you and I want to maybe. look you in the eyes again. Oh, maybe, it's, it's... maybe I'm completely off on this. Then I I thought it was about sort of like Jackson Browns for a dancer uh, uh, elegy of. Uh, I don't know. I thought it was about suicide. Uh, well, I, I don't see anything suicide, but I do. I do think it might be about saying goodbye to someone that's dead. Huh? Well, yeah. What do I know? I can't watch him put you in the ground. I, something about that. <laughs> that line struck me quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I, I couldn't remember it exactly. I mean, I, I, is that not the most natural thing to say if a friend dies that you have so much left to say? Yeah. yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I thought he was. I, I want to look using, you in the eye. I thought he was using it as a metaphor for his relationship. It could be. Uh, could I be, think yeah. you guys may be much more right than me. I don't know. This to me, this isn't the most interesting song on the album. I um, think it's it very is. compelling. I think it's a compelling song lyrically, but um, <laughs> I, I don't know. It, it's not the one that that does that much for me. Don't bring my nightmare to the day is good writing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, mean, I like the song. Been it's a poem. What is a poem? <laughs> it stands well, up without the music. Absolutely. I mm-hmm. I would rank this in my top three on the album just because I'm so dark and mysterious. <laughs> Your sweet voice. Do we have a pun here? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Maybe we do. Your sweet voice. I love this song. That's a great song. I absolutely love this song. This is one of my favorite songs he's ever written. It is just absolutely beautiful. It reminds um, me of last week we had a song about from Fulbert about a song about being with his wife or girlfriend at the end of the day and how it yeah. makes everything okay. Yeah. This is kind of the same yeah. theme. Everything is so subtle on this. I mean, the way that the harmonies come in and they overlap, like like one bar goes into the next. Have you ever noticed that? Like the last line hits of, of one um, one line and the next bar, it's it's it overlaps on top of that line. It's just so, it's, it's beautiful, it's, like, it's intricate, it's so subtle. It's like synthesizer music where chords never yeah. end or start, they just blend into yeah. each other. Exactly, exactly. And it, it's uh, like the vocals are padded, I guess is the synthesizer turn. 
yeah, his his vocals are just amazing on this. Um, it's it's like I said, it's one of my favorite things he's ever done, and it's it's a masterpiece I, as far as musical. This song could be goes. twelve minutes long. Yeah, and it would it would hold up. I mean, there's things he could have done. He could have put like some sort of like cello would, orchestra, yeah, orchestra at the end of it. I, mean, okay. I would love to hear a long intro and a long exit. outro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And I wish this was the song that ended the album, but we'll get to that. Um, it's so beautiful. It's just a mat. I mean, it, it's it's one of the greatest songs. I've well, it was it was uh, it was supposed to in the sense that that's. Uh, Sweet know, says that when they out. put that little outro thing on it. This was supposed yeah. to be the. I mean, not. I mean, the, the the inside joke is that that's the indie album, and the next three songs are quote unquote bonus tracks. Well, it seems right. that way to me. I was actually, yeah, I was going to call you to too. make sure that the original <laughs> album had the next three songs because yeah, this is track twelve, which would be a great stopping point on most albums. Yeah, yeah. Does she um, talk? Great guitars, fun guitars. Great guitars. Very, very un, undisciplined guitars. Guitars that are doing what they want. I, yeah. I love it. <clears throat> and Sweet's voice sounds so different on this song from the rest of the yeah, album. Yeah, he roughens it's it almost, up a little bit. This yeah, is a very bitter song. It's a little more guttural. <laughs> it's, um, I, don't know, I wish you didn't come after Sweet Voice. <laughs> This is this is it's so it's transported to wake you up. This is yeah. probably my least favorite song on the album, not guitar wise. Guitar wise, it's so interesting to listen. to. I love to. this song, guitar but, wise. Uh, this right. is a brain. This is a brain song. It's not a yeah. feeling song. Yeah, it just sounds wrong in, at this point in the album to me. Um, well, and just like I said, it's so bitter in a way that even the songs that are heartbreak songs aren't quite like right. Um, you know, it's, uh, I guess, tongue-in-cheek sort of misogynistic in a way. I don't know. There's just something about it that just never has grabbed me the way the other songs on the album do. Yeah. I think this is, could be a B-side or something, I, I, and I would have been interested in it, but it's just, I don't know. We'll get to this when we review the album, but there's just... All right. And, of course, we have a song about war. Holy War. I wish this one was in a different language because I love the tune. I love the production. I'm with you, Doug. And I, and I wish it were in a different language or I wish the lyrics were different. And I wish it weren't on this album or in a different spot in the album. They replaced it with a different, that's just not a that good should way. Have been on side one with the energy. Yeah. I it's agree. A, it's a really energetic song. It's a great tune. And 
I'm just not interested in this. I guess he's trying to imagine what it's like to be a Muslim, but I don't know. Yeah. T, what's this song about? I think you're right, but I love this. I love everything about this song. I, I remember when we did this the first time, I was amazed that JM didn't like it. And it kind of blew my mind because I think this is a fantastic song. It is. And I, I don't have a problem with the lyrics, but, um, you know, maybe just because I've, just, I've it, listened just, to it so often, it doesn't bug me. I think that the subject matter is tired. Um, in, it wasn't in 1991. I guess you're right, 1991, and I guess I didn't care enough about the world in 1991 for it to, <laughs> to have hit me. But is there any anything about? Uh, does he say anything about what inspired him to write this? I I haven't seen anything. Uh, yeah, I w- I wish there was more information about this stuff. Uh, I uh, yeah. I just saw that, uh, well, anyway, like I said, I wish there was more information about kind of what he was thinking about. There may be some place and we just didn't, didn't come across it, but, um, yeah, you know, he talks about the eye for the eye and the tooth for a tooth. Yeah. Which is yeah. one of the most misunderstood concepts. <laughs> That's yeah. a, it's a limitation. You can't take more than an eye for an eye and you can't take more than a tooth for a tooth. And, of course, most of those were done. The monetary equivalent of an eye, the monetary equivalent of a tooth. But you couldn't uh, take a life for an eye or take a child's life for an eye. And the wealthy and the poor or the enslaved had the same. It it was an eye for a wealthy man. It was an eye for a poor man, too. So it was a great step forward. But we don't look at it that way anymore. And Robert Quine's uh, uncle was a philosopher. <laughs> are you saying I got as boring as you are? <laughs> it's a great tune. Great production. It's a good tune. And I wish it were a outtake or a, I think um, I think it's great. I but he's love, 26 love, years old. I don't have a problem with it being on this album. I and and I and I am actually happy that it comes after uh, Does She Talk? Because I think it's I think it's better than Does She Talk. I'll agree with you on that. All right. This podcast, like so many other things, doesn't last. Nothing lasts, Tony. Well, are we harping back to a theme of George Harrison? All things must pass. Yeah, it's the most stripped down song on the album. Um, another tired subject, if you ask me. <laughs> I think this is a perfect way to end this album. Period. That's just my take. On I would have moved your sweet voice to the end. I would have as well. I think this is. I, I think you just could have knocked these last three songs off. Again, I will not agree to disagree. I will just disagree. (laughs) (laughs) I I wouldn't knock any song off. I would just reorder them. But, yeah, this is a good song. And it's, I guess, it's the least instrumentalized Mm -hmm. song on the album. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's yeah, definitely the it's just like two down. acoustic guitars, right? Um, I think so. Yeah. Excellent album. T. Fine album. Yeah. What happened after this? Well, uh, we talked about that a little bit. He uh, he released an album that uh, critics didn't like as much as this one, Altered Beast, and I don't think his fan base did. And the, the fan base didn't like it as much. No, um, I think people some have good gone, songs on people it. People have yeah, gone back, it, but what's what's funny is uh, one of the one of the things he was getting knocked about for that album was that he was taking himself way too seriously. So he comes in back in the studio and records an album called 100% Fun. It's like, okay, you want me to be fun? I'll be fun. And then he writes that single, I'm Sick of Myself, which was his biggest hit. Yeah. And He's, it's got the best, one of the best album covers ever, if you ask me. Is a picture of him in the, in the 1970s. Sitting in front of a the, stereo. With his in front of a on. stereo with headphones on. And it's got cover. that uh, ColecoVision 100% looking font. Um, yeah. Yeah, hilarious. And then, and then, like I said, he did he did an album called Interverse, which didn't really speak to me. And then he, so, but he's still making music. He makes it pretty much on his own now with with a drummer. Uh, but he does everything else. He's got he moved back to Nebraska. He's got a studio in Nebraska. He did put out some stuff with Susanna Hoffs from the Bangles. They did a they did a, had a project called Under the Covers, where the two of them did uh, recorded versions of other people's songs. And uh, I I saw them perform that live at South by Southwest one time and it was great, um, you know. So yeah, and he uh, was in uh, Ming T. He was in Ming T, which was the band that backed. Uh, I guess backed is a weird way to say it, but backed Austin Powers in the first and third Austin Powers films. <laughs> <laughs> I love those films. Yeah. So that's when they so br- do the go to the break and the band is playing and they do the little freeze frame, that's Matthew Sweets in, in that. Oh, band. that's cool. All right, fellers. At this time, we give these albums a rating. And since this was Tony's pick. I'm going to go to Jonathan J.M. Rowe. Jonathan J.M. Rowe, would you give us your personal and your critics rating? Sure. I'm going to go with my personal rating first. I just want to say, um, first of all, this album was kind of the soundtrack of uh, the summer of 1992 for me. It was a very unusual and fun summer for me. I was playing a lot of guitar. and or playing. How many girls dumped you in that year? A lot, a, a very significant one dumped me at that time. So, uh, yes, thanks, Doug. So I have a hard time kind of separating my personal feelings from my critical feelings from it. So I, I made a, a, a really hard choice. I mean, I, I went through a lot of deliber- deliberation on this. That It's not to say I, mean, I don't love every song on the album. It's odd that the songs I used to love... I don't quite love as much as I used to, but at the same time, the songs that didn't do that much for me before do more for me than they, than they used to. Uh, so, the, you know, so that kind of evens out the album for me. So I'm going to kind of keep it in the same, what my same rating is. Um, so I'm going to give it a four, two. I think it's a good album and it's one that I will definitely listen to again. And not just because it's got, I got fond memories of it. I think it's a very, very good album as a critic. I'm going to give it a three, five. I think this album could have been cut in half uh, as long as it is. It's almost, it's over 60 minutes. I think that it could have been between 35 and 40 minutes. I don't think you need to have every song on it. 
I think it, there's, you know, we were talking about Altered Beast earlier. I think there are songs that you could have taken from this and put it on Altered Beast and made Altered Beast a better album because I was really looking forward to Altered Beast and I was not very thrilled with it. I, like I, songs I'm thinking of like Day for Night, uh, Thought I Knew You, Holy War. I think those songs could have been moved to a different album. So uh, it's just for me, it, keeping the momentum on that album for a, for an hour is really difficult and it, it loses momentum for me as, as a listener. So um, I'm going to give it a three, five as a, as a critic. So that's my critics rating, both ratings actually. Thank you, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. Because Tony picked this album and because I'm so interested in what I have to say, I'm going to go to myself next. This is an excellent album. If somebody says this is a not an excellent album, don't listen to them about that or anything else. It is probably at the top of its genre as far as realizing what that genre is all about and then that genre's power pop. My my personal rating is going to be a 4-4. Four, four. The only thing about this album that I have any hesitation about is I think his voice is just too sweet sometimes for what he's trying to communicate. And I think sometimes the lyrics are mundane. He is a master at writing tunes, and this is a great production with absolutely fantastic guitar work. So... On a critic's level, I think I have to go all the way up to 4.7. I, I think this is a very, very good album. Now, the guy that knows the most about this album, Power Pop Tony, is going to give us his review. It's a five for me, personally. Whoa! Yeah, this uh, is... is this, only, this is only the third five i believe from power pop Tony. yeah it's not a double five but personally it's a five for me uh i don't ever get sick of listening to this album uh it's one of those albums i can put on and it will put me in the mood if i'm not in the mood it will put me in the mood for what to, to listen to it oh okay i'm sorry i misunderstood there's there's very uh, i'm sure you have bands like that where you're like ah, i'm not in the mood for this and then when this when it starts playing like it doesn't oh, matter I, anymore it, whether you were in the they mood might be not. giants as a band like that for me if i'm not in the mood to hear them someone puts them on i i'm instantly in the mood to hear them mm-hmm. so. i understand that. anyway uh yeah it's a five for me i i i don't particularly like does she talk but that does not take away from my utter joy of the rest of this album so, uh, yeah, I, I give it a five. Uh, critically, I'm going to give it a four eight, uh, mainly because of a couple of things. I, does does she talk? I think critically deserves a knock for that. And I think JM has a, a valid point about the length. There's none, not a song on this album. I, or, I mean, I take that back. Does she talk bothers me a bit. The guitars are great. But uh, I don't think I would take anything off of it. But it is a bit long. And that, I think, is due to the whole CD thing. Where I was going to ask that. Isn't this at the period of time where people think, were putting out too long of albums? I think I, I yeah. think what artists did at that point is they did not edit themselves in a way that probably should. So it could. Well, could it, it makes sense. You you don't know. You might have a hidden hit that you don't know about. Yeah. So could this yeah. have been a stronger album? Had it been shorter, probably. But so that's the only reason I'm going to knock it a couple a couple of points. So five and a four eight. Very good. Well, thank you, T. That uh-huh. is an album I would have gone to my grave without hearing had it not been 
uh, proposed by you. And you know, I don't know what to listen to tomorrow. I'm I'm at a loss. I was wondering if you had any recommendation that the young hip people might relate to. Well, I'm going to talk about uh, you know I try to, I try do try to do a little bit of a marriage when we talk about our recommendations. So the album I'm going to talk about is actually from 2004, so it's not quite brand new. That's but, newer than anything on the shelves looking you're looking at right now. But I will say it's something that we talked about a little bit last week at the after we were done because it features a guitarist who plays with Dwight Yoakam and the guitarist who played for Dwight Yoakam produced the album Forward. the Steve Forbert album. Mr. Pete Anderson. And this is Eugene Edwards' 2005, 2004, 2005 album called My Favorite Revolution. And it is one of my favorite albums released in the last 20 years. Okay, wow. that's a big deal. I love this album so much. And it, it uh, it's obvious that uh, just when you when you listen to the songs I'm going to play, there is a there's an obvious um, person that you're going to go, oh, this sounds like. And for some reason, a lot of people get weird about that. Not me. I wish more people sounded like this person. But I'm going to play a song. The first song I'm going to play is It Doesn't Get Better Than This. So the first song I'm going to play is Doesn't Get Much Better Than This. Washington detectives have their theories. That's good. That's good. I have no idea who you're talking about okay, that he well, sounds like. Then I'll play the next song. Congratulations, <laughs> my darling. That's good. I don't know which pub rock uh, person with funny glasses that you're talking about. But <laughs> it's Elvis Costello, obviously. Yeah. Um, that last one sounded a little bit like the boss. Too. But it's funny how many people get, like I said, they get all twisted up and say, oh, this is derivative of Elvis Costello. So what? So what? what? So what? Yeah, so That's what? a good thing to be derivative of. Oh, are you kidding me? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Eugene Edwards, My Favorite Revolution. Again, one of my I'm favorite albums. That record. One of my favorite albums. Of the, well, yeah, you should. It's that, that, um, I always have this rule about I can't judge an album till I've heard it at least five times, but I can tell. Yeah, you, <laughs> I can tell you love it. You would that love it right away. So anyway. <laughs> that's good stuff. Thank you, T. You're welcome. I want to say something to all of our North Austin listeners, which probably represents maybe a fifth. There is a record store right next to Lala's on Justin Lane called Love Will. I think y'all ought to go by there and say hello. Say Vinyl Tap sent you. And they have a great selection. And the guy that's running that store knows everything about music. I'm embarrassed to go in there because I probably said something stupid that he knows better than, than I do. But uh, anyway, Love Wheel Records on Justin Lane. Cool. T? Yeah. Where do you go in South Austin? I go to End of an Ear. 
end of an ear end of an ear it's uh, yeah it's a it's a local record place and uh, those guys it leans more towards the kind of heavier punk type uh stuff but in terms of the people that work there but it's got everything and uh and maybe the single best dollar bin of any place in the city Really? That oh yeah. Good. I'll sit on the I floor. I like spending a dollar on a record. Sit in front yeah, of the floor and just pull. Spend a dollar on the music. Yeah, I think I got. Uh, I mean, it's amazing what they put. I think I got Marshall Crenshaw's debut for one of you guys there. Yeah, I got it right dollar. over here. Uh, yeah. Little Steven's first album was there for a buck. So yeah, just an incredible dollar bin, and they're all in good all shape. Right. Very That's good. Amazing. Well, I'll turn it over to Jonathan J M Rowe. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's it for this episode of This is Vinyl Tap, the podcast that always goes to 11. We'd like to remind you we're always looking for recommendations for albums uh, you'd like for us to consider in an upcoming episode. So uh, you can reach out to us through our Facebook group page, or you can, uh, if you're old school, you can email us at tappingvinyl at gmail.com. And we're available at your favorite on your favorite podcasting platforms, and you can leave us reviews there and leave us a few stars. You can also tell us what albums you'd like for us to look at. Not a few stars. <laughs> well, yes, leave us as many stars if you're as you're comfortable. Just with. lie if you don't like us. Just lie. Yeah, we're always anxious to know how we're doing. Uh, and while you're there, feel free to subscribe, subscribe to us, and uh, share us with your friends who are interested in the LP format. And, of course, for the ultimate This Is Vinyl Tap experience, please visit our website, tappingvinyl.com. You can leave us a review, listen to past episodes, find out more about all the episodes we've talked about and the bands and the albums that we've reviewed in, on past episodes. Next week, we'll be looking at our very first foreign language album, Talk, by the Icelandic band Sigur Rós. For our host, Doug Cooper, our co-host, Tony Slagle, and me, your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe, this is Vinyl Tap for all the podcasts go to 11. And you know, we didn't think we'd find you so perfect in so many ways. <laughs>